Section 4 of Stories from the Adirondacks by Albert A. Young. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 4 The Hero of Toppin's Camp. Newcomb, a town in the Adirondacks, is undoubtedly the most important lumber region in the North. At certain seasons of the year, the little hamlet of that name which nestles close to the foot of Mount Marcy, reminds one of nothing so much as the description of a mining town in the far west. Men of all nationalities and peculiarities convene there through the fall and winter months. The many saloons of the place are well patronized, and the shouts of the bacchanalian lumbermen and hangers-on, mingled with gay, rollicking songs, can be heard in all directions. Back in the spruce forests which surround Newcomb on all sides are the lumber camps. They are frequented as a rule by a hardy class of men, but sometimes a tenderfoot, who has had pictured to him the bright side of a lumberman's life, finds his way in there and goes to work with a gang, only to find himself made a butt of ridicule and contempt until life becomes such a burden to him that he is forced to resign his position and seek employment with a more congenial company. The woodsmen hoot him out of sight and then turn to their work, laughing and jesting as if it was the occasion of some good joke, as indeed it is to them. From a pleasant home in a village not one hundred miles from New York City, there started one pleasant day in September, not many years ago, a fine-featured, educated young man bound for the lumber woods of Newcomb. He intended to be absent from his home for some months, and after a tearful parting with his widowed mother and fair young sweetheart, and receiving their caution to be careful and not get hurt, and be sure and write to us often, he boarded a train and was carried on toward the north. He was now the sole support of his mother. His father, once a prosperous businessman, had met with a reverse of fortune, which caused his downfall in business and in health, and he died leaving his family with very limited means. After trying vainly to obtain a paying situation near home, our hero had heard of the big wages paid in the Northwoods lumber camps and decided to cast his lot there. He was strong, brave, and not afraid to work, and had every confidence he could do good service in the lumbering business. Reaching Newcomb the following day, he instituted inquiries as to the prospect of securing employment and was told that a man by the name of Toppins had recently started a large job, was in need of more men, and was offering extra inducements to secure them. Therefore, in Toppins' camp, Frank, as we will call our hero, went. It was nearly night when he reached the camp. The men were just coming in from their work, and greeted Frank as he came in sight with cries of, "'Hello, Johnny. Where are you going to play tonight?' etc., etc. He minded not their rudeness, but hunted up the boss and presented himself for employment. He engaged himself as a chopper, 
and the next day was set to work under a big Frenchman by the name of Joe, who was the boss chopper. The gang had considerable fun at our hero's expense, but he took it good-naturedly and went to work with a determination to succeed in doing his share, and with hopes of, by so doing, of winning the respect of the rough woodsmen who recognize only two qualities in a fellow man, those of physical strength and bravery. Before the first day's work was done, he heard one of the men remark to another that, "'That duffer is some pumpkins after all, I guess,' meaning to convey the idea that Frank was regarded by him as being strong and able, and after that all of the men showed more respect to him. His day's work was finished. His employer, as is the custom each evening, asked him how many logs he had cut, and Frank gave the number as eighty. When the count was given in, Frank noticed a scowl on the face of the boss chopper and attributed it to disgust because he had not cut more. But when shortly after the B.C. gave his count as sixty-eight, he thought that that could not be the reason. The truth was, the Frenchman was angry because Frank had beaten him by twelve logs in his first day's work. The gang then proceeded to guy the boss chopper because he had been beaten by a tenderfoot, whereupon he became very angry and swore to utterly demolish the tenderfoot on the morrow. Frank was as strongly determined that he should do no such thing, and the next day the contest began. The Frenchman, stripped of all superfluous clothing, fell to work with all his strength. Frank made every blow count, and the gang encouraged them on with cries such as, "'Get thar, Canada!' and "'Go her, Johnny, or you'll lose your job!' Slam, bang, went the axes. Right merrily flew the chips. It was a contest between giant strength on one side and cool pluck on the other, but pluck won. Frank, a hundred ten. Joe, a hundred two. Such was the count given in that evening. The boss chopper's face was a study. He grew red and pale by turns. He paced up and down the men's room several times, and finally went to bed without saying a word. The men knew that a big time was on, and eagerly awaited developments. Early next morning Joe came down from the sleeping apartment above in a tumult of wrath. Frank was engaged in putting on his shoes in a corner of the men's room. The Frenchman immediately went up to him and, shaking his fist under his nose, angrily exclaimed, "'You damned sucker! Maybe you beat me in chop, but me lick a dozen like you, and me gonna do it!' So saying, he hit Frank a stinging blow on the cheek. In an instant our hero's blood was up, and he jumped to his feet, resolved to do or die. Quick as a flash he struck back at his burly antagonist a blow straight from the shoulder. It took him on the chin, and down went his form to the floor, but he quickly jumped up and made for Frank, roaring like a mad bull. 
frank school training now came into use when the frenchman came for him he ducked jumped one side and before his assailant could realize it he was lying on the floor from the effects of a blow on his head he slowly pulled himself together got up on his feet shook his fist at frank went out the door and disappeared down the road going out from the camp then cheer after cheer from the gang nearly raised the roof from the shanty every one of the men rushed to frank shook his hand and warmly applauded him for his bravery telling him that in future they were willing to do anything for him the frenchman was no favorite of the men anyway and now that he was vanquished and that too by a tenderfoot their admiration and joy knew no bounds and they danced around the rough floor sang and laughed and to end off with took frank on their shoulders and carried him to the woods where they went to work again time passed on joe was not heard from after as his going away left the position of boss chopper vacant the place was offered to frank at advanced wages he accepted it and during the six months that he stayed in the woods he filled it with credit to himself and satisfaction to his employer he was loved and respected by all the men and at christmas time in consideration of many little favors shown them by frank such as writing letters etc many of the men being unable to read or write they raised a nice little purse of money and presented it to him and he sent it home to his mother down the hudson and so the winter passed away without any new thing to break the monotony of camp life and spring was near at hand frank was daily counting the minutes looking eagerly forward to the time when he would again meet with his dear mother and sweetheart with whom he intended to be joined in marriage in the spring and they were as anxiously waiting his return but now comes the sad part of this true tale and i cannot refrain from dropping a tear as i write it alas how cruel is fate the winter is past and spring has come toppin's job is ended the men are collected together in the men's room talking of events that are past and of the things to come some of them will depart for their homes on the morrow others will go on the drive that is help float the logs down the hudson river to the sawmills below frank decided to do the latter it would make him later home but he will be going toward it all the time and be earning more money besides and so the next day he starts for five days everything goes well and the drive is down the river several miles a jam of logs is formed in the middle of the river in a dangerous place and the foreman calls for volunteers to go out and break it frank is one of the first to respond and he with three other brave men advance axes in hand to the center of the dam a few rapid blows and the logs are loosened and turn and toss in the swift current cries from the shore to look out are heard 
the men start back leaping from log to log another moment and all will be safely landed frank is behind his three companions have gained the shore in another moment he will be with them he jumps for a log but it floats from him he strikes the water and with an agonizing cry of tell mother on his lips he is carried down in the swift current poor fellow the next day his body is washed ashore many miles below bruised and beaten by the rushing torrent and is sent home oh the agony grief and despair of that loving mother and expectant sweetheart let us draw a veil over that sad scene at a point near where frank was drowned is a huge rock known as tragedy rock the boys up in the north woods have composed a song in remembrance of the hero of toppin's camp i have often heard them sing it but i can remember but one verse he was a favorite of all young handsome gay and brave but at the jam on tragedy rock he met with a watery grave. End of section 4